Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verses 10. It's a little bit of scripture today, and it's a familiar story, or at least I hope it's a familiar story. But if it's not a familiar story, I invite you to hear it. Hear it for the first time and hear all of the story. There's more to this story than always meets the eye. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from this land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites. They made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they had imposed upon them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shirpah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But if the midwife, but the midwives feared God, they did not do <laughs> as the king of Egypt commanded them. But they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter 
and she took him as her own son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you would use the words of my mouth and the witness that I have to share to remind us that you have given us all a witness and songs of praise to sing. Help us to find our voices through your word and your presence in our lives. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was small, and not so small, maybe more like Roger's age, in middle school. When I was in, a middle, when I was in middle school, things were changing. You know, puberty and all that. And, and uh, I was pretty precocious as a small, small child. I was the I'm the oldest of, of three. I have two younger brothers, and I was really good at bossing them around. I had, I had that down pat. I had a lot of confidence within the context of my family. But finding my way around uh, the school and among peers was a little bit harder for me at that age. And I did a lot of what we see Miriam do at the beginning of this story, which is to observe to hold back, to kind of follow along what's happening, but you could see me in the bull rushes, being in on the banks of the stream, saying, "I want going on. I don't really know what my part is." And so, uh, about uh, about that time, I got reconnected with the church. Some of my friends we were kind of a motley crew. We we're kind of like misfit toys, but we found ourselves at uh, at the youth group at a church uh, near my high school, and um, as a, in, the, in the process, I was, I was raised into some peer leadership positions. And by my senior year of high school, we had a big choir that was all youth. And uh, the director of the choir, uh, Mr. Al Zinter, who's no longer with us in this, in this world, but uh, has mentored so many young people in his lifetime, he, um, he said, I have this small solo. It's really a phrase that I want you to sing. And uh, it's, it's a small part, but I think it's the most, it's one of the most important because it leads the choir in. So he gave me this piece. It was my first ever solo in, in the choir at church. And so I would, I would sing the phrase and then 80 youth would come and sing again that phrase in unison. And you know how those pivotal moments in your life happen and you can't forget it. So is this tune. It's just embedded in my brain now. It, it went like this. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And so then the choir came in after and sang with full voice the same phrase. So if my voice was too small, then theirs came in to blow it 
uh, into the proportion that God desires and deserved. There are several women in throughout the scripture who are given who are given voice to song, and some of them are really famous. Hannah sang when uh, when her son Samuel was dedicated at the temple. Deborah, one of the judges, she sang when uh, Canaan Canaanites uh, had victory over, rather Hebrews had victory over the Canaanites. And then the most famous song sung by a woman was probably Mary. Yes, when Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord after the, after the angel had visited her and told her she was to have a child. Well, Miriam sings a song in the book of Exodus. And it's not the verse that, that we read. In this verse, she's probably around the age I was when I was kind of unsure of myself and wandering in the reeds. But later in Exodus 15 is the first moment that in all of Scripture we see a woman singing a song that's recorded in the Scripture. It's a song not only she sings, but with her brothers, Aaron and Moses, together. And they celebrate their escape from Pharaoh's army through the parting waters of the Dead Sea. It's uh, it's a remarkable moment. And I have, I have my suspicions why this is not a common text. And uh, I think it's in part because the first thing it says uh, in this verse of uh, Exodus 15 is, she picked up her tambourine and led them in song and dance. And if you know anything about a tambourine, you can't play it without like moving your whole body and keeping to the rhythm. So there's dancing happening. And has the church been weird about dance? Yes. I mean, I think even especially within the last couple of hundred years, we've been unsure about the relationship between sexuality and dance. And what about sexuality and women, right? We've kind of, we've been kind of uh, repressed about those things. But here is this, uh, sister of Moses, this prophetess who picks up her tambourine and starts just praising God, not only with her voice, but her whole body and leading others in the charge. And the words that, uh, that she sings are these, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Every believer has a song to sing. Well, pastor, you might say, someone told me I'm tone deaf or I only really sing in the shower. Okay, well, if you don't want to sing your song out loud, you do have a voice and you have a witness to share. Because if you have an ounce of faith, there is something that God's done in your life and a witness that you have to share. And in our scripture today, Miriam is pulled from obscurity where she wants to just stay as an observer and God moves her to action in a pivotal way by using her voice. In fact, in this story, it's one of the unique ones in the Bible where the only main male character is a baby who 
doesn't have words to speak yet. Women from different classes and castes and races, all in this, these few verses, defy the odds and work together to save a child from a death sentence, truly. And in doing so, they step out of the cover of the bulrushes, out from the obscurity of being a female in, in, the, in ancient times, and play pivotal roles in the salvation history of the people of God. It really is a remarkable moment. Miriam herself is the pivot point. There are other women too, right? We've got, um, we've got Moses' mother who has somehow kept this child alive for a few months in spite of Pharaoh's decree. And even before that, you've got uh, the midwives, Shipra and Pua, who defy the Pharaoh's orders also and, uh, and lie. Well, it's kind of a white lie. They say, oh, these, these women, they're so strong, they give birth without our help. You know, so we can't be there to kill them if we're not there when they're born. So they say, they, you know, they give that little white lie, but it's a, those are pivotal moments as well. But at this pivot point, Miriam is the one with both eyes wide open, waiting to see what's going to happen, expecting God to do something. Because surely this child isn't, wasn't born just to be killed without a chance at life. She was ready to seize the opportunity to orchestrate her brother's rescue and to step out. And what a remarkable thing for a Hebrew slave to then actually address members of Pharaoh's court and to offer this crazy thing. Would you like me to find another lactating mother who can keep this child alive? We want to simply observe what's happening in the world, protected by camouflage. But God's salvation plan pivots on your willingness to act on behalf of the most vulnerable. And what's more vulnerable than a child who's dependent completely on some adult to take care of them? So what led eventually Miriam to bring voice to, uh, to the situation and eventually to be able to sing her song of God's deliverance. Um, the obvious answer is that uh, the Lord's power is unequaled and she's been a witness to it, right? And God demands his people's praise and so she has just got to say it out loud. But I think it's also very personal, the song she sings, Personal to her and to Aaron and to Moses. I think that uh, when she crossed over through the dry land that should have been uh, the water of the sea. That her heart was especially stirred by the scene of that of all those people coming out of the water. Of all the Hebrew slaves, Miriam was the first to get a preview of God's outstretched right hand when she stood at a distance and watched a rich and powerful Egyptian royal stoop to pick up her crying brother. For the first time in three months, she saw her little brother cry freely without having to be muffled by his mother. 
That basket bobbing in the reeds had brought him to safety, and she saw the moment of compassion that gave him his name, Moses, drawn up out of the water. It must have been mind-boggling to think that the daughter of Pharaoh had even stopped to listen to what the slave girl Miriam had to say, listening to her idea about fetching a Hebrew nurse for the infant. How much more amazing it was then eventually to witness God coming down so dramatically and draw his own people out of the water. Instead of seeing her infant brother being hurled into the sea, her her baby brother was not hurled into the sea because of Pharaoh's decree More than 80 years before, she lives long enough to see the sons of Egypt hurled into the sea. To this day, observant Jews call the lyrics in Exodus 15, Miriam's song, the song of the sea, recalling the words of their daily morning service along with several other uh, Old Testament scriptures. For generations, Israelites would remember this moment of salvation but for Miriam the whole act scene act verse it all started way back when she saw Moses saved from the reeds throw up that picture of uh, of Miriam and her mother and the baby this uh, this painting was made by Anselm Furbach in the mid 1800s and uh, you'll find it at the National Gallery in Berlin. But look, what a tender moment as Jochebed uh, holds her baby Moses and her teenage, maybe, teenage daughter is looking on. There's Miriam. And Miriam is holding that basket. No doubt little girl Miriam had stood by her mother's side when she cut the bulrushes to make that basket uh, it's a teba, which is an ark. And she daubed it with that. The scripture says pitchumen and bitumen and pitch. They must have talked, making that tiny little ark about the story of Noah being saved from the raging waters of that flood. Mother and daughter probably tag teamed the entire project, Jochebed working in the reeds while Miriam kept watch over her siblings. Later, after Moses had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, the two of them must have pinched themselves, knowing that somehow God was weaving a plan much bigger than the basket of bulrushes. This same little girl, Miriam, aren't we always, we feel as if we're the children and the the young people that we always were. Go on, go on and show the next picture of uh, Miriam with her tambourine. This is one of the less racy of the pictures that I found. This one was also painted in the 1800s. She's not dancing so much in this one, but this one was painted by uh, Simeon Solomon, and you'll find it actually in a uh, museum in Delaware. And uh, look at her taking that ancient Uh, and modern instrument, the tambourine, to bring her voice, her whole self, to the praise 
of God. And you can just see her picking up her tambourine, beginning to sing. And then everyone, you're talking about the whole people of God who came across the sea and then are, were headed to the wilderness together, all following up with the choir back up in the end. Uh, George Friedrich Handel wrote music to these to the words of Miriam's song. And the way he wrote this in his piece, Israel in Egypt, uh, the third act is all about their salvation. And the way he wrote this is uh, very much like the scripture where Miriam sings with one voice. It's written for a soprano. Miriam sings with one voice. And then the entire choir comes in behind to fill in, not in unison, but in many parts. I'm reading one, two, three, four, five, six, seven parts. You need a double choir to fill this out. And my understanding is the first couple of performances of this piece, there were a thousand people in the choir. Would you like to hear it? Sing ye to the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. God has given you a voice. There is a song in you that must be sung. If you're waiting to figure out when that will be or wondering if God could even use you, know that you are the pivot point in someone's life to bring voice to what God is doing in the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the invitation is open today. Perhaps perhaps you've been here for a while with us or perhaps you're visiting and you say, I want my voice to be heard. I know God has a voice for me. This is the space for you. This is the place that we join together with that voice. So as the, as the praise band comes back and they begin to sing our final song this morning, if that is you this morning, if you need to join your voice, come talk to me. Come talk to Reverend Angela. But know that the invitation is open for all. Will you stand and sing with us?